0: This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.
1: Navigating Parkinson's disease can be challenging, but we're here to help. Welcome to the Michael J. Fox Foundation podcast. Tune in as we discuss what you should know today about Parkinson's research, living well with the disease, and the foundation's mission to speed a cure. Free resources like this podcast are always available at MichaelJFox.org.
2: Hi, I'm Larry Gifford, a member of the Michael J. Fox Foundation Patient Council and co founder of PD Avengers. Welcome to the Michael J. Fox Parkinson's Podcast. Sleep is essential to humans, just like air, water, and food. When necessary, people can cope without sleep for periods of time, but the longer we are awake, the stronger that urge to sleep. Parkinson's disease and sleep are closely connected. Most people with Parkinson's have sleep problems at times. The disease itself may cause some issues, like REM sleep disorder. You might also have insomnia or feel overly tired during the day. Two of every three people with Parkinson's have sleep issues, so it's important we're talking about it today. Parkinson's and sleep are connected in complex ways that even scientists can't really figure out. Sometimes Parkinson's disease directly causes sleep problems. According to one study, sleep-related symptoms may be the earliest signs of Parkinson's disease. These signs may include things like thrashing while you're asleep. Other factors like Parkinson's disease treatments and emotional challenge can also play a role. One thing's for clear, For many people with Parkinson's disease, a restful night's sleep can be hard to find. I'm one of those people. Here's an excerpt from my personal sleep journal. Tuesday, woke up at 2 a.m., fell back asleep after 4. Wednesday, woke up at 2 a.m., tossed and turned, couldn't sleep, now up for the day at 4.15. Thursday, asleep at midnight, up at 4.45 a.m., tremor is pronounced. Friday, Back woke me up three times. I was yelling in my sleep and flailing about. March is the National Sleep Foundation's annual sleep awareness month. This campaign celebrates the benefits of sleep. This is an opportunity to stop and think about your sleep habits, consider how much they're impacting your well-being, and take a step towards improving them. We have a great lineup of panelists today. First, let me introduce Alan Dance from Richmond, Virginia diagnosed with REM sleep behavior disorder in 2022 at the age of 59, and he is a participant in the groundbreaking PPMI study. Hello there, Alan. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Larry. Thank you. And hello, Richie Rothenberg from Los Angeles, a fellow patient council emeritus member, diagnosed with young onset Parkinson's in 2004 at the age of 37. Hi, Richie. Hello, Larry. And you're there with your spouse and care partner, Julie Merson. Hi, Julie. Hi, Julie.
1: Hello, nice to be
2: here. And we've got Dr. Steven Joza, neurologist completing the Edmund J. Safra Fellowship in Movement Disorder Training, graduates in 2023. Congratulations at the Research Institute of McGill University Health Center, Montreal, Canada. co Canada. Uh, research focuses on the early prodromal stages of Parkinson's disease. Hello, Dr. Joza. Uh,
0: hello, nice to be here. Uh, I'm gonna start with you, Dr. Joza. Why is sleep so important? Why is it important? I mean, the mere fact that it is something we do for eight hours a day in general, that it's a third or a quarter of our entire lifespan, that implies it's incredibly important. But, you know, curiously, it's a a topic that's been understudied for many, many, many years, despite its obvious importance. It's so important that if you look at pretty much any animal, plant, fungus, even bacterium, each one of them displays some form of sleep uh, in some measurable capacity. So clearly, sleep is important. Why it's important? Well, clearly, it's important for restfulness. When we, you know, when we take away sleep from somebody, they wake up in the morning, or and they're unable to function as as a result. Sleep has clear, important uh, implications on general well-being, health, but also cognition and ability to function during the daytime. So clearly, sleep, broadly speaking, is critical for life. Critical for life,
2: and it's so often uh, hard to find. <laughs> you, you can search for sleep, you could, and the harder you search for it, the less you find it. <laughs> what are some of the sleep problems associated with Parkinson's?
0: Well, uh, the clear ones that most people will probably identify are, well, the main big ones would be insomnia, and then the other one would be excessive daytime sleepiness, or just basically being sleepy during the daytime. To some degree, the, the two of them are quite well-linked. Um, so if you have insomnia and you have terrible sleep, you, that may result in excessive daytime uh, somnolence, but they can also be separate entities. So beyond just insomnia and excessive daytime somnolence, there are also primary sleep disorders that are common uh, in Parkinson's disease. Some of them can include, of course, REM uh, behavior disturbance, which uh, you uh, alluded to uh, in your introduction. But other things that we might less commonly think about, like obstructive sleep apnea, uh, sleep disordered breathing uh, abnormalities uh, that might be seen in some forms of Parkinsonism, uh, such as Stridor. As well, uh, restless leg syndrome, is there is an association as well and can be uh, commonly encountered in Parkinson's disease, as well as some other esoteric uh, movement disorder abnormalities like periodic limb movements of sleep. And many of these uh, sleep problems kind of work together to produce the either insomnia or sleepiness during the daytime. I'll also say that as a consequence of having Parkinson's disease, many people with Parkinson's most will be on some sort of medication and although those medications are clearly important for allowing you to function and to move as naturally as possible they can also have deleterious effects upon quality of sleep or wakefulness during the day. Well so Alan
2: uh you uh you have recently been diagnosed with the REM Sleep behavior disorder. Um, Can you tell us about what your sleep issues were and
3: how you got diagnosed? I sure can. Um, A couple of years ago, I started to, I guess, have more restless uh, dreams or uh, movements in my sleep. Uh, My partner really is the one who noticed it uh, because I would sometimes awaken her with that. And, you know, she decided to do a little research on it because I was getting pretty active. You know, there, times where she could tell him my, my dream, oh, yeah, well, you were playing volleyball last night or you're, you're running, uh, <laughs> you had a cross-country meet uh, last night, or she'll wake me in the middle of the night and ask me, what am I dreaming because of my movements? So that kind of led us to do a little research, and we kind of self-diagnosed RBD before ever going to a doctor and uh, getting that conf- confirmed. Yeah, I, I developed RBD
2: after a PD diagnosis, and for me, uh, it's was slow onsetting, but like more and more, I began to thrash around and jump out of bed and, you know, throw my fists in the air and, or have my elbow just hovering over my wife's face <laughs> at some point. <laughs> she, she, it was, it was a very dangerous situation. So we now have to sleep in the separate beds just for safety reasons. Uh, Dr. Jose, is that common that uh, it gets that where it's just so unpredictable? You
0: just, it's not worth the risk. That's... Uh, you, you You face the situation that many people with REM behavior disturbance face, that it becomes safer to sleep in separate rooms even. Um, it is a common scenario unfortunately.
2: So in that case it also impacts the intimacy of the relationship of, of the person with Parkinson's and their partner, uh, which can really, you know, There's so much already weighing on the relationship. Uh, Julie and Richie, maybe you guys can come in here now, talk about how sleep maybe has impacted your relationship.
1: I mean, we're very lucky in that Richie doesn't have that kind of physical acting out at night. Um, And we got together after his diagnosis. So uh, he was already kind of well into his medication regime and he had had the deep brain stimulator. And so, what I came into at that stage was that because of, like you were saying, Doctor, the um, the incredible amount of medication he takes during the day to keep him functioning and keep him, you know, having this amazing kind of second chance at life uh, to lead a, you know, ostensibly to the outside, symptom-free life much of the time, he would be completely unable to sleep at night without taking an enormous amount of sleep medication and uh that that medication has changed a number of times he's you know he's gone off the benzos, so it's it's different- it's always every six months to a year he has to kind of adjust the sleep medication to see if it helps or uh you know what really helps him both stay asleep, get to sleep, stay asleep, and have a rested sleeping experience um which are three different things. <laughs> And, you know, how it's kind of affected our life the most, I think, is because he's on these heavy medications. We have never left him alone with our kids overnight because uh, not because he's not a wonderful parent and wouldn't do everything in his power if there was some kind of emergency. But because he's so heavily medicated, uh, you know, we just worry that if he were, you know, stumbling or something and couldn't, you know, just whatever the worst case scenario we would we would never want to put our children at risk in that way so we have just kind of adjusted our lives in a way that maybe we wouldn't like we have an au pair we have someone live in the house with us to kind of help for that kind of you know just to make us all feel better and safe because if if he's worried about it he won't get a good night's sleep anyway
2: richie were you worried about that i mean is that is that
4: something that weighs on you yeah i mean it's i take it i have to take enough medication To, to sleep, to, to, to counter-effect the dopamine that I take, levodopa, and the levels of, of ampoules that I go going through my hand with my deep brain simulator, and just life in general stresses. But um, it's, it's reassuring to have someone here overnight, because I, I can stay there. I can be sort of, just, it's basically when I go to sleep at night, I take my sleep meds. I'm on, I'm on relatively unconscious from whenever it kicks in to the morning. Even though I get up to go to the bathroom, is it a restful sleep? I think so. I mean, I sleep pretty well. I fall back asleep pretty well. I think it. I think it's restful. I've looking at my eyes. I don't know. I don't know if it's if it's rapid eye movement or not. I think there is. Good, I, think I do some dreaming, but um, I, I'm definitely. It, it makes me more competent and able to be home with the girls if someone else is there. That's good, that's good. Dr. Joza,
2: in some people, RBD can be an early symptom of Parkinson's appearing years, even decades, before the Parkinson's diagnosis. What have you learned through your research about this connection?
0: Um, you're absolutely right uh, the, that uh, REM behavior disturbance RBD does uh, in almost all cases, about at least 80 percent of cases will pretend ultimately a diagnosis of a synucleinopathy. These synucleinopathies include Parkinson's disease, as well as dementia with Lewy bodies and multiple system atrophy, uh, which are all sort of related forms of Parkinsonism. Uh, you're quite correct in, in saying that it can presage it uh, by decades. Um, the average sort of annual rate we estimate uh, in somebody who has RBD is that between 6 to 8% uh, percent per year, uh, every year will ultimately develop uh, one of these synucleinopathies, including Parkinson's disease. The discovery of, uh, uh, of RBD is actually quite recent. It was described clinically in humans in only the 80s, and the connection between RBD and Parkinson's disease was only in 1996. So it's actually a relatively new illness. Very, very exciting part of this, though, is that we now have a very powerful predictor of uh, in people who will develop Parkinson's disease. It is to say that, again, in the majority of people with RBD, most of them will at some point develop Parkinson's disease, but they don't yet have it. This population of people uh, are now a very critical Population, in which we can study the not only the progression uh, into Parkinson's disease and other Parkinsonisms, but in fact have clinical trials in which we try to stop or perhaps reverse uh, the process completely. So it's actually an extremely exciting time to be studying uh, RBD.
2: So it's not that everybody with RBD. Uh, ends up with Parkinson's, Mm -hmm. but most of them.
0: Quite correct. As as I said, our best estimates is that over a 15 to 20-year period, probably about 80% or more will get it. Now, you might ask, well, what is that other 20%? Now, to some degree, uh, some of that 20% are perhaps from secondary causes. Secondary causes are things that may trigger RBD. uh, A well-known example are certain antidepressants. Now, that said, although sometimes these antidepressants may trigger RBD, you take them away, the RBD goes away. Nonetheless, in those people where it happens, there might ultimately be a predisposition to ultimately getting primary RBD in the first place. That is to say that they will at some point develop RBD regardless of antidepressant use, and as a consequence may uh, later develop um, Parkinsonism or Parkinson's disease. There, are, I should also say that there are many things that look like RBD, but that are not RBD. So things that may resemble RBD are um, are for example in obstructive sleep apnea. If somebody uh, has an apneic event, that's when they're asleep, but they're not able to breathe for a short period of time. They might struggle for air and beat around with their hands and as a consequence, they may resemble RBD, but it's not. It's our OSA's obstructive sleep apnea is not associated with Parkinson's disease, at least not in any way near as strong as connection as RBD. Other things that can resemble it are uh, other forms of parasomnias, things like sleepwalking, uh, otherwise known as synabolism, um, in addition to other uh, clinical entities may resemble RBD, but are not actually RBD.
2: Thank you, uh, it uh, clarifies it uh, even more, which is great. So, you know, we don't want to uh, to scare anybody unduly, uh, but it it is, uh, you know, one of those things that is a precursor for many uh, to, to the next, uh, uh, next level of uh, Parkinsonism.
0: I, I should uh, also very much stress that the only way to clinically diagnose RBD is with a validated uh, sleep study or polysomnography. So even though sometimes we're fairly certain it's RBD, we can't actually make that diagnosis with, formally without a, a, a sleep study.
2: So you, you had mentioned how important this this subcategory, this this group of folks with RBD are, that the PD uh, hasn't onset yet, and that's where Alan Dance is right now. And Alan, how did you find the, uh, uh,
3: the, the PPMI study? You know, I'm trying to recall now, um, I was uh, uh, connected to it with the urologist that I reached out to. I couldn't get an appointment for a long time, but he mentioned that as a possible source. And my partner also is a researcher and she found the PPMI site and, and I recommend it as well. So I've been you know a participant in that study almost as soon as I found out or got confirmation that I had RBD.
2: Yeah, the Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative or PPMI is sponsored by the Michael J. Fox Foundation. It's a study in volunteers with RBD, both with and without Parkinson's, to see how PD comes on and changes over time to develop better treatments and ultimately prevent the disease so you found the, the 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 study how have you found it why why are you personally doing it
3: um right now there's not a lot i can do to to fight the um, rbd but i can make a contribution or if i can make a contribution that'll help an understanding of rbd and how it progresses in parkinsons and you know i'd like to do it it's not a very difficult thing to participate in it take, takes a little bit of time um, but if i can make a difference and hopefully uh help figure out the disease and, and ways to slow it down or ways to make it go away, um, I wanna do my part. Thank you, thank you for doing
2: that. I, I, research is so important. Without, without people volunteering for research, there is no research, so thank you. Um, Julie and Richie, uh, how have the sleep uh, issues in your life evolved over the course of your relationship? Has you, have you seen it change?
1: Well, that's a great question. I mean, as Richie's evolved in, and everything he's had to take has has changed. All different kinds of his medications every year or so have to be slightly adjusted, and, and and including like it was interesting you said to me because Richie, like a lot of other people, takes antidepressants as part of his Parkinson's regime. So it's interesting to me that that's there's a connection between that and RBD, or so, or there could be a connection. Um, again, that's not Richie's sleep issue, but. I think one of the things when he decided to go off the benzos, he in my um, experience he doesn't quite get as deep asleep anymore. So he's very lucky. He get he'll get up several times a night to go to the bathroom, um, and he falls right back asleep. But but he's up a bunch of times, and I am not so lucky as to be able to get back to sleep so quickly. And I don't know if it's my you know mom ears that's always listening for some child in distress, or uh, they're 10 now, so they're they're pretty good at sleeping. But um, I kind of wake up every time he does. And it's also just like making sure, did he bump? Did he fall? You know, when he's, when he's sort of very, you know, medicated in the night and he hasn't had, you know, his Parkinson's medication, it's easier for him to fall or hurt himself. So I kind of get very alert and um, wake up. And sometimes I can fall back asleep, but often... Like last night, I he woke up at three fifteen and I just kind of read from three fifteen to five. Uh, so I mean, for me, I think he's getting a good solid sleep. It doesn't seem to me that it's as deep as it used to be. And then I know that can have an impact on my sleep. And, you know, also when he doesn't get as good a night's sleep, it it has an impact on his Parkinson's symptoms. like if if he doesn't sleep as well, he's more likely to stumble the next day. So there's kind of this cascading world of effects. But I'm, I was not around for the beginning of the Parkinson's or sleep journey. So Richie may have more of a take on that.
4: I do know that if I get RBD, I'm definitely I already have Parkinson's. I won't get Parkinson's. <laughs> <laughs> <someone did> that. <laughs> but that's one good thing. But yeah, it's the, the, the um, transmission has been pretty startling. It's been really, it was really a trial and error to get to the point where where my doctor is writing, oh, I should have enough cocktails to put me down. Cocktails mean just a cocktail of meds, no cocktails. But the, the meds um, to the point where it can effectively get me to sleep. It's more of an impact on Jules, really, because I mean, she'd probably be better off if I had a benzo or or, or was in a different bed or different room. But that's another story. Um, so I'm able to do it. Sort of like the, the, part of it's a cruel comedy of. Having Parkinson's, it's like like getting old. You you get old, it's hard for you to walk, you have to pee a lot. And with Parkinson's, (laughs) you you, do not have to be old to get having to pee a lot. That happens because of Parkinson's. And it's a cruel joke. It's like, and you don't take any medication overnight. So, at least I don't. So I'm off, completely off my meds until six in the morning. And the way Parkinson's works, the levodopa goes through your system really fast. Yeah. It's harder to walk at that time. So it's just like, you know, it's a cruel comedy of of affairs. It doesn't the humor. Even about things like pee and falling down. It's all just part of the game. Well, Richie,
2: you bring up a good point. Uh, not only are sleep issues associated with Parkinson's, but also they happen when people get older. Uh, Dr. Joseph, can you talk about how do you know if
0: it's because of the Parkinson's or just because, you know, I'm getting gray hairs? There is a huge overlap. You're quite right. Uh, And yes, some things uh, are worse in Parkinson's, but yes, there's an overlap. I will say that if you poll older adults that don't have Parkinson's and are otherwise generally healthy, about a third of them will complain of insomnia, uh, of course, at least two-thirds of, of people with Parkinson's disease, so about double, have insomnia. So it ser- clearly seems to be more of a problem in, in Parkinson's disease specifically. So some of this has to do with normal aging. You know, we, When we're born and as we grow, we have a circadian system. This is a clock within our brain which, over the course of 24 hours or so, uh, tells us when we should be alert and when we're awake and when we should sleep. And this, uh, with natural aging, the circadian system breaks down a little bit and becomes less efficient, even as we age normally. In Parkinson's disease, though, it becomes even more complicated. Parkinson's is what we call a neurodegenerative disease. And so although clearly it affects motor function by targeting specific parts of the brain, we're only now understanding and learning that it also affects things as complex as the circadian system. So it is to say that your sleep-wake cycle uh, by virtue of having Parkinson's disease is disrupted and that leads to poor sleep. I will also say that, although I said that insomnia is fairly common in, in, in uh, otherwise healthy adults and it's more common in, in Parkinson's disease, the complaints uh, are actually a little bit different. Although about equal numbers of people who don't have Parkinson's disease and do have Parkinson's disease, although both will complain at about the same rate about difficulties of falling asleep, Uh, Julie, what you identified is, is quite clear. Most people with Parkinson's disease complain a lot more about frequent awakening and being unable to go back to sleep. And as a consequence, that also carries over to the bed partner as well. You know, interestingly enough, RBD, although it's dramatic, it can be dramatic, acting out your dreams, jumping off your bed and such, Actually, in most cases, RVD is not the problem. It's as simple, unfortunately, as things like having to get up frequently to pee. In fact, frequent urination during the night, or nocturia like we call it, uh, is probably the number one complaint that people have. Not only does it wake you up because, oh, I got to go to uh, pee, but you, oh, oh, I have to get up to pee, that means I got to get out of bed, somehow get myself over to the bathroom. Maybe I have to wake up my bed partner to do so. It becomes a whole process and it's so difficult. Um, so it's, it's it, what you have described, I, it's complete, it's, you've hit the nail on the head in so many different ways.
2: Well, and, and Alan, uh, I know you're, uh, you're, your partner first noticed that you were acting out your dreams. Um, how, how has RBD changed
3: your uh, you and your partner's nighttime routine? Well, you know, we first of all, we kind of joke around that my having RBD means she has RBD um, because she's the one that usually wakes up when I'm making movements in the middle of the night. Like if she wasn't in bed with me, I usually sleep through the night fine. So I guess I'm still early on uh, and I'm getting a glimpse of what's coming down the road. But really, she's the one who is the one who de- deserves a little combat duty because she gets in bed and she knows that you know there's a chance that I may start getting very active. Um, with my arms and my legs, it's not a to the best of our knowledge an every night thing, but the only way we know is if I wake her up. So if if I don't have it happen one night, I don't know if I really didn't do it or if it's that I didn't wake her up. And we as a couple have always kind of, you know, quite frankly, snuggled up and slept kind of spooned at night. And this has really totally changed that because if we start to sleep that way, you know it's a little anxious for her <laughs> it's it's relaxing it, intimately it means a lot to us to snuggle like that but she also knows that you know once i'm asleep there's a chance that she could get hit and and it's happened before it's a low probability but you know if there's only a 5% chance of you getting hit at night you may not feel like 5% is a very low number <laughs> right and it's a scary thing as well that you know she can be asleep and with no notice, right out of the blue, you know, my hand could come out and I, hit, I could hit her in the face. So it, it's it's changed a lot of dynamics for us. You know, we we kind of call the middle of the bed the neutral zone, and I sleep on my side of the neutral zone. Um, so we may meet at the middle to begin of the night, but I I stay to my side so she can have a safe area of the bed. And unfortunately, sometimes that's still not enough because I wake her up, and then she can't get back to sleep. So. You know, I wake up in the morning, and one of the first things I do is I look over to see, okay, does she survive the night? <laughs> yeah, I'm the one right. with RBD, but, you know, she's the one who half the time wakes up, you know, in the morning in a different bed because she needed to do it to get sleep.
2: Yeah, it, it, that was happening in our relationship, too, so then I just ended up going to a different bed. And we've had to find new ways to, uh, you know, to find intimate moments and to, to take those moments of conversation through the day or just sit in bed and, and be with each other and then go into separate beds for sleep. Or there's, there's, there, you, you just sort of have to keep evolving and, and communication is really the key, right? Like if you don't want your partner to fear sleeping because they might get hit in the middle of the night. Um, it's
3: one of those where I I apologize every time, and she's always great about it. You know, you don't need to apologize. There's nothing you can do about it, but you know, you do feel bad. It's like you know I'm making her lose sleep, and I feel like going to another bed. But she's like, you know, well you're sleeping and it doesn't happen every night so rather than me being in a separate bed or the two of us being in separate beds every night we begin each night giving it a shot and um, you know some night and, and and it's not like it's an all-night thing um, she describes it as it's maybe three or four minutes in a night you know once or twice a night um, when when she's noticed it happening and so you know we we usually roll the dice well we always roll the dice by staying in bed to, to begin the night. It's just a question of, you know, will she make it? And I usually make one nature break during the night, and, you know, usually I get up out of bed, I go to the bathroom, and I come back, and I'll look, and, you know, sometimes she's there, sometimes she's not. You expect that she's there, but she may have already had to bail out because of a dream I had.
2: Dr. Joseph, oftentimes uh, my events are accompanied by very vivid dreams. What does that tell you?
0: Uh, well, you're quite correct that the textbook uh, examples uh, uh, that we see of RBD are often quite dramatic. They are often uh, events where people are struggling and fighting against somebody or some unnamed thing, and 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 there's one school of thought that perhaps well RBD episodes occur because you're having a dream where you're you know you're all well, the adrenaline's pumping, and then you 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 have. you you need to move in order to, you know, jump out of the way of the car that's getting after you or the tigers that's chasing you. Uh, Quite curiously though, there's now, there's been perhaps a shift in in how we view RBD. It's possible that a lot of RBD is actually quite subtle, that RBD dreams can be as simple uh, and as uh, uh, as any other sort of dream. There's some very interesting research coming out of uh, France, um, Dr. Arnulf uh, is the lead author, that has actually examined uh, dream content in RBD, and they've documented many, many, many examples of, yes, there are occasions of you know, fleeing from alligators, but there are also many instances of what seem to be very pleasurable dreams, people smiling during their sleep as they experience a pleasant sort of dream. So although the the ones that are often brought to our attention the the violent sorts of dreams that make people jump out of bed some the, probably the majority of dreaming in RBD is actually quite simple and quite as natural as any other regular dreaming.
2: Well, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Um, before we wrap this up, I want to go around the room and, and get a piece of advice from each of you, if we're uh, either people with uh, RBD or Parkinson's or, or care care partners, uh, on you know maybe maybe some tips you've acquired over the years in regards to how to make it work. Uh, I'll start with Alan because he had his hand raised there. I think he wants to add <laughs> on to, to to Dr.
3: Joseph? Oh, well, we've got a, a little bit of a different question. I'm not quite sure what advice to give at this point. I guess, you know, be prepared to say, I'm sorry, um, because, you know, early on, you're disrupting someone else's sleep. And I guess sometimes have a little fun with it. Um, like Dr. Joseph was saying, they're not all violent dreams. Sometimes she wakes up and I'm in the middle of a business presentation or I'm um, something funny is going on. I'm literally laughing in my sleep. And she she will sometimes wake me on one extreme to calm me if I'm getting really active. But on another extreme, she's just really curious. <laughs> and, and she'll ask me, what am I dreaming about? And, and the irony is that I always know, I always know in an exceptional level of detail. And I'll tell her the dream and then I fall right back to sleep. So I don't mind her doing that. And sometimes she's just curious, like, what are you laughing so much about or what are you presenting about? and. I guess, you know, have a little fun with it. It's not all fun, but where there's a window, you know, enjoy some of the uniqueness that your, your life is bringing you. And, and maybe keep a sleep journal,
2: uh, a dream journal. That, that would be interesting to look back on over the years.
3: You know, I haven't tried that yet, but that's a good recommendation. I made a note of that, thank you. Richie,
4: what advice do you give people? Well, I give other more holistic advice, like sleep, meditate, eat well, exercise, try to get to sleep again. Began and um, try to have, have a sense of humor in your life through it. Have, have like a, the ability to laugh at yourself is very important to our And we all have different. Well, we all pull different levers and knobs to accommodate for our partners to deal with our situations. Because very, they're very, very, um, distinct. I mean, there's there's a, there's a commonality. Everybody's taking some kind of levodopa for sure. Or dopamine. And it's just a matter of what different concoctions you need for your specific situation. So, you're ready to. And as and was told to me by a friend of mine when I got Parkinson's, it's the best chronic disease around. Do you have everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's <the best> one. <laughs>
2: Julie.
1: Well, I would. I I second everything Alan and Richie said. Um, but I would also say that for for me. The communication has been just being able to because especially when you're both tired it's very easy to react and not communicate clearly and i think when we've been able to say you know i'm exhausted i know it's not your fault but can you help me out today like that the communication right, right. has been very important and very because we want to still sleep in the same bed and we want to be able to um have that as part of our life and uh but i will say the most important thing is the humor (laughs) and richie brings an incredible amount of humor into both parkinson's as a whole but even like if he does wake me up in the night he's able to joke about it and be funny and you know while he sometimes you know could even have to like crawl on the floor to get back to the bed we we have a way to be able to laugh about it and that makes it feel like we're on the same team and we can get through anything together.
2: I love that uh, sense of humor and also uh, just the communication. It gets you through so much. If you just say it out loud and not assume that people know what you need in the moment, I think that's because people with Parkinson's, our our levels of observation decrease uh, exponentially over time. So I don't notice the things that I should notice. So my wife's like, do I really have to ask you to do this? I'm like, yeah, you really do, <laughs> uh, Doctor. You Joseph, and every
0: other husband.
2: <laughs> what, Doctor. Joseph? What, what advice would you give people if they find they're having some sleep difficulties?
0: You know, I, I will say first off, speak with your doctor, and and I say that actually a bit, a, a bit with a bit of facetious nature to it. I say that because it's not necessarily easy to speak to your doctor about sleep. It's. It's, the reason for that is many-fold, but in part is because many general doctors and certainly many neurologists that, that are general neurologists have actually very limited training in sleep. Many are sleep-deprived themselves as well, and so it becomes sometimes a, a hard thing to talk about. That's why it's actually quite important, as you sort of alluded to, uh, perhaps to keep some sort of a sleep log. Uh, just as in people who have who are chronic migraineurs or people who have headaches, keep a journal about what triggers their migraine, what makes it better. Exactly the same sort of sleep journal can be actually quite illuminating, both to you as well as to your physician. You know, how often are you waking up, and why are you waking up? Is it just to pee? Is it because you have pain or dystonia, or it's hard to get out of bed? Um, you know, make a note of, well, what were the stimulants I had that day uh, earlier? You know, caffeine after 2 p.m. is probably not actually a great idea, but it'd be something you you might identify by jotting these sorts of things down. And then having that discussion with your doctor specifically about sleep allows you to review your medications. I We talked a little bit about, earlier about how certain medications, although they're they're what you need to get going to move. They can also have a deleterious effect upon sleep. And so often a review of medications or an adjustment of medications is also important, at least to consider. I also want to very, very much stress the importance of, non, uh, of uh, non-pharmacological of uh, non uh, interventions. That are things that are not medications you take, but things that you personally can do. Exercise is exceedingly important. Not only do we know that people with Parkinson's disease who exercise ultimately do better than people who do not, people who uh, stick to an exercise program um, actually tend to sleep better at night. Even people who have insomnia, when they have studied these people and entered them into, uh, into randomized control trials to test exercise in people with Parkinson's disease and sleep difficulties, their sleep is actually better over uh, in the long run. And finally, I would say uh, the an, another key non-pharmacological therapy is actually light therapy. You can think of light as a drug. Light is the thing that stimulates you in the morning to get you up, to get your circadian clock going. But as a consequence, too much light d- towards the evening with our bright blue LED screens are actually extremely uh, stimulating. Sometimes simple things like having a filter uh, on your computer that adjusts the light level to more of a warmer orange kind of glow towards the evening, sometimes that's even enough to help promote uh, sleep in people who have insomnia. And by the opposite end of it, people who are excessively tired or excessively sleepy during the daytime, there's actually some great evidence starting to come out that light therapy in the morning, so a very bright light uh, lamp uh, sort of in your face as you prepare for the morning, actually can give you uh, quite a bit of benefit in terms of improving tiredness throughout the day. So very much, yes, as a a neurologist, yes, we like to give medications to try to solve problems, but actually you as a patient are actually quite empowered to do many of these non-pharmacological things yourself. I want to thank all of you uh, for for being here and, and talking about this this is you're, you're able to be very
2: vulnerable with us and and and, and we really appreciate the uh, behind the scenes. I do want to uh, remind everybody that participating in the research is one way to feel empowered and to make a difference If you have RBD or act out your dreams. you can play a critical role in our landmark research study. The Parkinson's Progression Markers Initiative, or PPMI, is learning more about the connection between RBD and brain disease, and to understand who gets Parkinson's, who doesn't, and why. And those insights could lead to better treatments and cures. If you have RBD and don't have Parkinson's, call 866-525-PPMI, 866-525-PPMI, to get started and speak with a study team. For more information on RBD, visit michaeljfox.org dreams. And once again, I want to thank our panelists, Julie Merson and Richie Rothenberg, Alan Dance, and Dr. Steve Joza.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
2: Thank you, Larry. It was great to be with you
3: as always. Thank you, Larry. I appreciate your inclusion to be on the call. Thanks for having me.
2: For everyone who is here until Parkinson's visit at the Michael J. Fox Foundation, I'm Larry Gifford. Thanks for listening.
1: You enjoy this podcast? Share it with a friend or leave a review on iTunes. It helps listeners like you find and support our mission. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation at michaeljfox.org. Thanks for listening.
0: This is Michael J. Fox. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Learn more about the Michael J. Fox Foundation's work and how you can help speed a cure at michaeljfox.org.